This is a download from BFM 89.9, the business station. Hi, I'm Hanif Baharuddin and this is Gigi Well Played, the show that talks about all things video games. It's International Women's Day and to mark the occasion, we're going to speak to two big personalities in the local gaming scene to see whether the industry has done enough to make it more inclusive. Later on the show, I'll be speaking to Ramona Azwin and Tiffany Lim. But before that, here's a recap of some of the biggest news in the world of gaming with Daryl Ong and Dashran Yohan. Thank you, Hanif, Daryl, and Dashrin Review on the news. And first up, Pokemon recently turned 25 years old. That's crazy. Yes, the iconic franchise is now a quarter century old and it's still going strong. A fact, it is not. I want to be the very best like no one ever was. Yeah, Pokemon, 25 years old, almost as old as me. I remember back then, I was playing the uh, Game Boy version of Pokemon as well as the cards. I I think I prefer the cards more than the video game, to be honest. Why? I don't know, just the the feel of, you know... Having something physical physical, and being able to trade with your friends. And also, I had to buy, you know, the expansion packs and stuff like that. It it felt like not a video game, but more of a lifestyle. Okay, (laughs) okay, okay. Yeah, and I I was... Like, I I really enjoyed... I played multiple Pokemon games. Uh, My favourite probably is Ruby Sapphire. Um, But I had a weird sort of relationship with the Pokemon games because I always start off very, very interested... And it is very exciting, so I will go. But as with many other games with this story mode, right? My weaknesses come once, you know, they say, okay, now you need to go back two towns, then go to this dark <laughs> cave. And then, you know, like, there's only torchlight. And I'm like, okay, now I can't do this anymore because I need ways. And, and, <laughs> and then you on your bike, right? And you're just strolling yes. through a field. And suddenly, oh, you gotta... Yep. You gotta but yeah, but, but it really brings back lots of great memories, Pokemon. Uh, and I know we're a bit late in covering this, but Pokemon celebrated its official birthday on the 27th of February, 25 years ago. Uh, in 1996, uh, Nintendo published Pokemon's first ever products, Pocket Monster Red and Pocket Monster Green, uh, with the special edition Pocket Monster Blue being released later in the same year. Yeah, so this was the era which was my most favorite actually red, yellow, blue, and green. When all the other things came up afterwards, and, you know, the Pokemon started having different names, and you know, they started introducing a lot more. For me, a bit weird Pokemon. So uh, this yes. this is the classic era for me. Yes, because this is the classic ones where we saw in the original cartoons yes, as well, right? Exactly. So and yeah, in case you didn't know, those are the versions where you get to choose the original trio, which is Charmander, Bulbasaur, and Squirtle. That's right. Uh, Pokemon also has a huge impact on our lives and the lives of many people around us. It's part of many people's childhood. That's right. So to walk down memory lane, we went around our office and asked some of our colleagues about their experiences with Pokemon and their fondest memories of the franchise. I used to, I started with the Game Boy Color, the cartridge games, Pokemon Yellow, Pokemon Blue, all of them, Silver. I mean, it was very big in my school. Uh, you either played Pokemon or Yu-Gi-Oh, collected a bit, but lost interest. I think the whole story of the game was fantastic. Like, the whole journey, you know, your Pokemon trainer, Ash Ketchum, the whole point of the game is to become the best Pokemon trainer in the world, and that's, when you're a kid, that's, that's the stuff of dreams, <laughs> I guess. Well, when I was younger, it was the cartoons first obviously and then I did buy the cards but I never knew how to play them I just kind of bought them because everyone else in school had them it's just to collect and then everything the pretty pretty <laughs> used to have it um, but the main ones I used to play were the video games uh, on the PC Pokemon Yellow and Pokemon Red and then 
when I grew older, of course, there was Pokemon Go. And once I got sick of Pokemon Go, I downloaded an emulator on my phone to play Pokemon uh, Emerald. <laughs> because right. I was like, the older one's better than Pokemon Go. Honestly, I think I started playing it because uh, my brothers were playing it and I was kind of interested when I used to I used to stand behind them as they were playing it. So I was like, oh, this is like fun. I kind of want to try it myself. And then, you know, you just kind of get caught up with all the cute Pokemons and you want to, you know, play with them. I can't really remember that well, but I started with Pokemon Yellow. And then after that, I played Red and Blue. And then I played Gold and Silver. Going to the park and then, you know, you battle your friends, you trade stuff. I think you can trade stuff. I can't remember if you can trade stuff, but yeah. Um, but also just like at home, the weekend, play until late at night, you know, like really obsessed with it, you know, then after that, battery na mati, like, oh no, I need to find new batteries and stuff like that. So, yeah, it was really fun. It was really fun. I also remember playing the digital Pokemon trading card game. That was really fun as well. I've always been more interested in the kind of like the RPG vibes of it, where you get to travel, explore, go to secret places, unlock something. Um, the fighting and the catching and the battling and all that, it's... It's fun and exciting, but I think what drew me to it was like the world building, the the kind of like, you know, I, I like to read about the Pokemon, you know, when you catch the Pokemon and there's a Pokedex there, I like to read about it and stuff like that. So I like all this like history and exploration and lore kind of vibes to it. Yeah. I collected the physical cards because I remember in high school we played the Pokemon card games. Uh, but I, I watched the cartoon, but I never really followed it because I don't know, the cartoon wasn't just us appealing to me. I don't, I don't know why. I mean, the theme song is in my head, but... Uh, yeah, I was always been more drawn to the game and to the training card game. But I kind of like grew out of it as I got older and I played, I guess, one would say more mature games like Magic the Gathering and Warhammer and stuff like that, yeah. I collected them, but I had no idea how they worked. So it was very much so I loved the artwork and then never played the actual trading card game. I think I was so enamored with the creature designs. I loved Jigglypuff so much. She is my number one top favorite cartoon character of all time because she's just great and so like chaotic and I really appreciated that as a kid. Uh, in terms of the games, I think because it was really easy to figure out. I'm not very good at games, so like the battle system is easy. Like it can, it can get complicated if you look into it, but as a kid, it wasn't difficult to figure out and I really liked the adrenaline rush of being able to do all the battles. I've played through uh, Pokemon Emerald, Pokemon Alpha, Sapphire, and Pokemon X. Favorite moment is hands down being able to beat the Elite Four. The moment of that rush that you get, the moment that you have beaten all these guys without you know stopping once for a break at all, and then the horrible moment later when you realize you have to then fight your rival is unparalleled in video gaming. Oh, I really enjoy the Pokemon Go because I like walking and I think when you're adventuring out in KLCC or even anywhere, maybe Bangsa, that's where I live. But when you find your phone tingling, it means that there's a Pokemon around and you can catch it. I thought of it as a challenge so I could challenge my nephew who was also playing Pokemon Go. Yeah, so when I was in primary school, you know, I, I played Pokemon on Game Boy. I played with my friends um, and I remember playing Pokemon Silver and then later on Pokemon Sapphire. I did play trading cards, but I think it was uh, for more of the to collect which Pokemon. I wasn't too into the the trading card games, right. uh, but yeah. So I, I mainly focused on uh, Game Boy. Whether it was during break time, like playing it alongside my friends was was quite memorable. Because even though we were doing our own things, it it just felt like you know there was a sense of community, 
you know, that was nice. My experience with Mokemon is that I first started watching the cartoon and then I got into playing cards um, when I was like five or six years old with my brothers. Whenever we play Pokemon cards, I think our conversation still goes back to the cartoon. It's almost like when you're watching movie and you remember that scene and they bring it up and then you make like jokes about it or like yeah you just make up conversation about it so I would say my favorite moment is the story of Pokemon um, from the cartoon yeah um, other than the cartoons being really cute I also remember like memorizing all of their names but now I don't remember anymore um, it's also the bonding session with two of my older brothers. I played Pokemon on the Game Boy Advance. I played Pokemon Sapphire, the one with Kyogre in it. I think I was... how old was I? I was 10 at the time. And I don't know why, I used my Master Ball to catch some other Pokemon. I didn't realize. And oh, I was panicking when I finally got to meet the legendary Pokemon Kyogre in the game. And I used an Ultra Ball. And lo and behold, to my surprise, I caught it. Back then, it was it was the craze, and um, I had a lot of friends that were playing it. And probably one of the best things about it was you could play with your friends, and there was specific specific Pokemon that you needed to have friends to have friends to trade with in order for for them to evolve. Right. And back then, that was like super super cool to me because before that, I used to think, oh, I only can play by myself. And then when you can when you can trade with someone else and then suddenly like, oh my Pokemon's evolving. I would say it's the bonding moment that like me and my friends had when we played together. Cause later on I think they also introduced like dual right. battles right. where you have like two people can team up for battles and you have two on two battles which was super super cool. <laughs> Awesome stuff. Of course, to commemorate the franchise, Nintendo is doing a year-long celebration that includes collaboration with brands and musicians like Katy Perry and Post Malone. Sounds very exciting. And on the gaming front, Nintendo has also announced three new games for the Nintendo Switch during the anniversary. Uh, the first two are remakes of Pokemon Pearl and Diamond, first released on the DS in 2006 called Pokemon Brilliant Diamond and Pokemon Shining Pearl. I'll be honest, I have no idea what these are. <laughs> and the third the game is called Pokemon Legend and I might butcher the pronunciation Pokemon Legend Arceus I think we try a game that's supposedly a prequel to Pokemon Diamond and Pearl this is a tale from a long long time ago when the Sinnoh region was still only a vast wilderness a certain village bustled with the comings and goings of people while in the mountains and seas Pokemon roamed as they pleased. This game caught the attention of many as it's supposedly an open-world RPG game that follows the style of The Legend of Zelda, Breath of the Wild, where based on the trailer, you can roam around and catch Pokemons that you see. And as usual, some fans are excited and some fans are a little bit sceptical and wary of the game's potential, especially after what happened with Pokemon Sword and Shield. Nevertheless, happy birthday, Pokemon! 
Moving on, there was a big hoo-ha last week over rumours regarding Elden Ring, the game that's currently being developed by renowned developer of the Soul series, Hiditaka Miyazaki, and author of A Song of Ice and Fire, or Game of Thrones' George R.R. Martin. And apparently there was a leaked shaky cam footage that's making the rounds on the internet, showcasing snippets that's claimed to be from the game. Yeah, this has led to a frenzy online, especially for fans who were excited about the game, but has yet to see anything new from the developers since the E3 2019 trailer. That which commanded the stars, giving life its fullest brilliance. The Elden Ring. And according to reports, the build that was leaked online was from an older build and the game might not look like this right now. Uh, a Bloomberg journalist said that a new trailer for the game might be released soon, though Xbox marketing boss Aaron Greenberg confirmed that Elden Ring will not be shown during the upcoming Xbox event. And fans have been quite excited about the game ever since it was announced, and it has become one of the most talked about games whenever game companies have their showcase events online. It's Miyazaki plus George R. R. Martin. What's not to be hyped up about, right? But as always, it's always good to manage our expectations. Up next, another new Nintendo Switch rumour. Reportedly, Nintendo is planning to unveil a new model of its Switch console with a bigger Samsung OLED display at the end of the year in time for the holiday season. That's right. This comes after reports that Samsung Display Co. will start a mass production of the 7-inch 720p resolution OLED panels as early as June this year with a monthly target of just under a million units with the display scheduled to be shipped to assemblers around July. And people have speculated that this might refer to a bigger screen Nintendo Switch as the current Switch screen size is 6.2 inches with a resolution of 720p. Other rumours include this new Nintendo Switch Dub Switch Pro being able to output up to 4K in resolution when in stock mode. And rumours of a new Nintendo Switch have been circulating around a lot and this is the latest one we've heard. Some have said that the new console might not be released this year but some have said that it will be released at the end of the year and with both Microsoft and Sony struggling to release their consoles due to a worldwide silicon shortage, Nintendo might be primed to take advantage of that position. Uh, Though some analysts have said that Nintendo's doing well sales-wise that they shouldn't worry about the position in the market. And Nintendo is not making any comments right now, but suffice to say, maybe if they do come out with a new Switch that's slightly more powerful than the current one, it's probably to retain parity with the other consoles in this new generation. Will we see the new Switch? Let's wait and see. On to news of the Doom game, Artifact, the Dota 2 card game shipped in November of 2018 and was supposed to be Valve's answer to Blizzard's popular game, Hearthstone. Released as a paid game, not a F2P like Dota, and met with negative reactions so much so that it has become a meme. Yep, uh, review bombs over its monetization model and that has resulted in a steep fall-off of players and it's a real shame because CCG was all the rage back then. That's right, in March 2019, Valve acknowledged that the game suffered from and I quote here, deep-rooted issues that couldn't be addressed through conventional updates and said it would be, and I quote again, heads down focusing on addressing these larger issues but but a couple of months later, it appeared effectively abandoned. Artifact 2.0 was then announced in March 2020. However, just late last week, Valve announced that they will be stopping development immediately and indefinitely. 
Good news is, however, for remaining fans is that both versions of the game now renamed Artifact Classic and Artifact Foundry will continue on for free. Just to run down the final changes to Artifact Classic, uh, the game is free for everyone to play. Uh, all players get every card for free. Paid players' existing cards have been converted into special collector's edition versions which will remain marketable. Paid event tickets have been removed and also customers who paid for the game will still earn packs of collector's edition cards for playing and players who got the game for free will not. Hmm. Yet another failed Valve venture, but to many PC gamers, Valve and Gabon in particular will always be revered no matter the turmoil. All hail Lord Gabon. <laughs> Daryl and Dash with you on the news. Back to you, Hanif. Thank you very much, Daryl and Dashran. Let's go for a short break. Up next, I'll be joined by Ramona Azwin and Tiffany Lim. Stay tuned. This is Gigi Well Played on BFM 89.9. BFM 89.9, you're listening to Gigi Well Played. I'm your host, Hanif Faharuddin. The gaming industry has grown so much in the last decade, and while it has opened doors for many different people to be a part of it, a lot more can be done to make it more inclusive and conducive, especially for women. So in conjunction with International Women's Day, we're going to be speaking to two experienced individuals who have been in the industry for quite some time to share their experiences and their thoughts on the scene. They are Ramona Azwin and Tiffany Lim. Assalamualaikum, my name is Ramona Azwin and I'm a professional esports athlete for Malaysia CSGO team. I started gaming when I was 16, it was very long ago. I kind of play games because my late brother taught me how to play games and one of the games was CS 1.6. So I never really thought that I would turn it into a career, frankly speaking. So I only played it because my late brother played it and he loves it. Uh, throughout the years, I somehow fell in love with the game and then grew in and out of it and somehow, somewhat or another, it's a competitive game so I kind of like being competitive even in life and knowing that uh, my brother passed away in 2007, I kind of like wanted to continue this thing and see how far I go and how far I can I don't push myself and here I am today. I used to play for a Malaysian all Malaysian girls team. It's called Spinks. Uh, and then we switched to Orange Spinks. And then two years ago I got an offer to play internationally for a Chinese organization called Tailu.ssg. Somewhat and another I'm still here playing for them. Hi everyone. I'm Tiffany, also known as Oling or Baby Oling. For the past three years I've been with Better Arena Malaysia as the head of marketing and PR. And last year, I just took up a new position at the International Esports Federation, IESF, as their Athletes Committee chairperson. So a bit about my journey. I've been in the esports industry for eight years now. And for the journey itself, I think it's safe to say that uh, I have tried a bit of everything that the esports industry has to offer lah, while trying to figure out what I'm best suited for. So actually, I started out in a competitive Dota 2 team in Singapore. That was back in 2013. And back then, I was also doing a bit of shoutcasting and streaming on the side, a lot of on-screen exposure. And after that, I returned to Malaysia to manage um, Team Titan, which was at the time the top esports team representing Malaysia. 
And then afterwards, I ventured into events management, analyzing games. I competed in quite a few Dota 2 tournaments as well over the years. And I've also worked on my social media presence through brand ambassadorships for like MSI, Cellcom, Secret Lab, and so on. And for the past three years, like I've mentioned, I've been with Beta Arena Malaysia as their head of marketing and PR plus the new position at the International Esports Federation, IESF, as the Athletes Committee Chairperson. So with all that going on, I gradually shifted to a more behind-the-scenes role, but I still do occasionally speak up for some issues that I really care about, like female empowerment, sexual harassment in gaming, and so on. Mm. Okay, so I think the thing about both of you is that you both decided to do it full-time, right? Um, what was it like to make that decision, um, especially in, in a scene that at that time and even now to a certain extent was still male-dominated? Honestly, in the beginning, I was never really gender-conscious because my gaming teammates, my regular gaming teammates are mostly guys and they will just tell things like it is and scold me whenever I make a mistake and stuff like that. Essentially, they just treat me like any other male teammates. But later on, as I started competing, I guess the prospect of facing and beating primarily male opponents uh, felt daunting and exciting at the same time. Also, as I started competing more, I guess I started coming across more online opponents who would uh, belittle or make fun of the fact that I was female. They will use sexy slurs or things like go back to the kitchen where you belong to try and throw you off your game, you know. So that started becoming like a source of motivation uh, for me to improve myself and to prove that female players can also be better than guys. Yeah, but that's it. I think the objectification is still there. I was in this all-female team girls gaming for a couple of years. We all took leaves from work and school, trained really hard online. We came in first in all the regional female tournaments that year. We beat out the other APEC countries teams, China teams, which got us quite a bit of media coverage as well. But when we brought these news to sponsors and asked for a bit of salary alongside a training house so that we can play full-time, almost all the sponsors told us straight in our faces that since we are girls, we shouldn't be focusing so much on competing, that we should be utilizing our faces and gender to our advantage while we are young and do more photo shoots and video shoots, stuff like that. Maybe train fewer hours so that we can have more time to stream and promote their products for them. So essentially to me, that's sending a message that there's no value in female players trying to pursue an esports career because you already have the male teams for the purposes of competing. They don't need females to do the same. So they just want you to stay there and look pretty. Ah. So we felt very disrespected and disheartened. And in the end, we had to move on with life also, find jobs, go back to school, etc. And it's only because of my passion in esports that I managed to stay in the industry afterwards. And ours wasn't an isolated case. There were many other strong, like really strong female players. They were full of potential, but they have since moved on to other industries really. Because esports simply wasn't ready for them, I guess. And I think in the entirety of Southeast Asia, Ramona might be the only one who's made it this far. And I can't even begin to imagine how tough the journey must have been for her. For me, it's very fortunate because I grew up with two brothers. So it's always been uh, the gender thing is not an issue. So if I want to be part of whatever they're doing at home, let's just say for an example, I have to compete. I have to like 
be good at, at what they're doing too. So there was no Bobby Dolls or so for me. So when it comes to esport, I think if you take esport as a sport, I think it's more like a mental kind of sport. So it depends on your mentality. Um, at the end of the day, it does not matter if you're a boy or you're a girl, you're a woman or a man. It's a male dominant league. We all know that because it is such ways. Games are more for boys, even though if it's not in esport. As we speak today, we have esport. It has become a job opportunity for some, not just for guys, but also for all the girls as streamer casting, like what Tiffany was saying earlier. So as for me, I never really look at all those stuff. Uh, haters are going to be there. No matter if you don't pick esport as your sport, you play badminton or any other sport, it's the same. Somewhere or another, I think it's it's never in my mind to have like uh, it's 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 a male dominant kind of thing i sh- you shouldn't like try i always encourage all the girls uh, the youth to say that if if you if you really want to be a gamer you you do not care what people say at the end of the day if you stop believing in that it's because you yourself stop nobody made you or say to you that you, you shouldn't be playing and stuff so as for me i think throughout the years now i'm playing internationally i've seen how there was not esport back then it was just playing games and people think it's a waste of time as today it's a job for me it's a job for some it's a career path that people can eventually go and and and, and try to be in it has revolved it has changed because the internet has helped us all has revolved around us and however the things are today this is a sport no matter you you say it's not or it is it is a sport in any sport it has categories of men and women there will be categories of that football anything bowling anything you will have men and women it's just that it's picking up but it's just slow because the vibe the way that people receive when you're playing games is a waste of time but actually it's not about playing game that is wasting time you get a lot out of it and now it's a it's a it's a job scope for for some as for myself even for Tiffany so i feel the gender part has never been an issue for me uh, maybe because part of how i grew up and on top of that competitive can and when you talk about competitiveness you cannot have this kind of mentality Hmm. But even for you, I mean, and you mentioned the fact that I think a lot of people out there are also very skeptical of 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 gaming as a form of um, not only industry but also as a form of career, right? So, uh, what was the reaction of people around you that may not necessarily be gamers? For example, your parents or your other family members or your friends when you said that you want to do this full time. Uh, that's the thing. I never really uh, thought I'm gonna do it full time. I never thought it's gonna turn out to be however esport is today. I never had that hope, that vision. I only played the game because I loved the game. We all started off that way. Just take as badminton, you know, before it became competitive. So it's just you, me going to the padang and playing. And at the end of the day, it becomes like super competitive and everyone wants to be the best and stuff. So in my mind, it was just that. Because I'm just, when I was young, I'm just a kid who just likes to play it. And I like to play it because my, my late brother was playing it. In my heart, it has always been that. I've never looked at it beyond it. So... It was very fortunate for me that I can make a living out of it, and my mom has always been very supportive because, because this is what I always tell the youth too that they always ask me like you know like how but my, my mom and my dad don't support me playing games blah 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 esport is the thing now, and I also ask them are you doing it right 
what is esport? What is what is being a professional gamer? Is it you're playing eighteen hours a day? You're sitting in front of your computer and you're eating there, you're drinking there. Is that professional gamer? Is that how you, you know, any professional athlete out there does this? People don't do that. So you need to. It it has to start from you before you want to say to your parents that gaming is good. You have to educate them the right way. So the right way of educating them is, you can play hard and go pro. You can also play smart and go pro. I always tell the youth that you got to do it right. So even me with my mom, it's the same thing. I, I still do my, my, my daily things. I help her out. But when it comes to my work, I tell her, okay, I have work this time and this time. We communicate. It's the same. If you're going to play games or you're going to do anything in your life, you got to communicate. So I feel like it works both ways, you see. Mm. Yeah, so so uh, Ramona, you've touched on the individual aspect of, of how to overcome the challenges that are there. But like Tiffany mentioned earlier, somehow this, the, the industry seems to also still be at a stage where it's not yet mature. And, and when I say mature, I mean mature enough in, I guess, looking at the situation and handling it in, in a more professional way. Right? I think I think the story that you told us, Tiffany, earlier about how the industry seems to look at female gamers and ask them to focus more on their looks rather than their skills seem to be very problematic. So, um, Tiffany, based on your experience with that um, and now working behind the scenes, what what are some of the things that you're thinking about when it comes to bringing about changes, especially when the industry itself focuses on you know, the wrong things, for lack of a better term? I guess all it takes is for female role models to really step up and prove to them that stereotypes can be broken and that being female and in esports doesn't necessarily equate to streaming or using your faces, using your appearances to gain an advantage over male fans, male following, stuff like that. You can be in esports for the sake of pursuing your dream. You can be in esports for the sake of pursuing your passion and also to prove the naysayers wrong. Mm. Yeah, and for you specifically, Tiffany, I think once upon a time you were also a streamer, right? Um, walk us through the experience of being a streamer. I think as much as there are people out there who are also supportive, I guess it's not uncommon for us to hear about, you know, the kind of objectification that I think sometimes women face as streamers, right? Uh, so, yeah, can you perhaps maybe share your experience being a streamer? Mm. It has been a few years since I last stream, but all I can remember is that it used to be very toxic. There's um, plenty of sexual harassment in the comments and stuff like that. So no matter how good your gameplay is or how much you're trying to showcase um, your skills in the game, mostly they will focus on your looks. They'll focus on your appearances. And... Otherwise, they will just be commenting that you're just doing this for attention and stuff like that. So it wasn't a really exactly pleasant experience to go through. And not long ago, I think I just did a legal advice webinar where um, I was discussing with a lawyer about what can be done against these uh, stream comments, sexual harassment. And apparently you can lodge a police report and you can report it on, I think, MCMC and stuff like that. But information like this isn't very accessible. And usually as a streamer, you will just like, the most you can do is just to ban or block those toxic commenters. Or at most you can scold them on stream. And that's about it. So 
yeah, that's kind of part and parcel of what you have to deal with on a daily basis as a female streamer in esports. Mm. Um, Ramona, do you face any form of toxicity throughout your career? Like maybe uh, while you were competing or even within the industry itself? All the time. <laughs> All the time. Uh, it doesn't matter what I do. Uh, it doesn't matter what I say. What game did I try? I'm not an avid streamer. I don't really stream much, but I understand what Tiffany was saying. And I play in a competitive scene, like a really competitive scene where before I started picking up playing with uh, all female lineups, I used to play in a boys league, in a boys team. And I've been playing Corner Strike for 15 years. So uh, throughout those years, trust me, if there were to be any of that, it was, was loads of it. But some somehow it didn't really affect me because I knew what I wanted and that's for myself. But somehow I know that not everyone has such mentality. And that is why whenever I do a workshop, when someone asks me, like, how did you do it? How did you get this far? How did you, you know, like, masuk kiri, keluar kanan, kind of thing, kind of hearing, but it still stays in your heart and you still feel it. So I told them that, It's a very simple thing that you got to know what you want. Like I said again, you got to know what you want. And if that is what you believe, if you're, if you're so bad at it, accept it. Accept that you're bad at it and work on it. Because nothing is going to come up like bad out of it if you believe that something that is something that you like, that is something you're passionate about, that is something you believe. No one can break your belief other than yourself. So I guess that's what I did for myself. Mm. Um, it's interesting that you brought up I think playing in in a mixed team last time because I think um, what I'm curious to know is also your the reaction among your teammates perhaps when when perhaps the question of your gender was brought up as a reason why you're not doing well or they used your gender to make fun of you and things like that um, were the people around you supportive enough or were they able to tackle these problems specifically like maybe address it so basically When there's such people around me that way, I wouldn't have them around me. So basically, I have really good friends and good teammates all throughout the years. I actually had an advantage with my team where people would look at us like, hey, the team have a girl, eh? one girl, you know, easy, easy kind of thing. But it became my advantage at the end of the day because they think that I'm just there because I'm just there. I'm just a girl that is just filling in and stuff. But I actually like the game. Like I said, I love the game. And I worked really hard in it. And for my teammates and my friends, they have, they have always been very supportive. When I say supportive, it works both ways. You know, people need to tell you the truth and the truth sometimes might hurt you. Like, well, you're so bad at this or you're so bad at that. And mostly guys, they are able to talk such ways. And that is why I feel sometimes it works both ways where when people would say your mistakes or people would say you're not good enough, you got to have the right mentality to say that this is work, this is this is an athlete mentality and as friends, we're friends. You shouldn't take it to the heart. So this is what I always tell my current team also. If whenever I scold them, whenever I say something about their wrongs or their, I mean, when they're right, I always acknowledge it. But if you're wrong, I mean, you shouldn't be rubbing, I mean, throwing under the rug or so because at the end of the day, it's the best for yourself that you can become better. Mm. Um, I think the scene itself, as much as it's, um, I don't know whether welcoming is the right word, but I feel like it's at least, it has tried its best to open the door to making it a bit more inclusive, right? But I think one way or another, the industry is still facing a lot of problems. And I think last year was like a watershed moment for 
esports scene as I think there were a lot of um, uh, stories that came out about sexual harassment happening within the industry, right? So, um, do you feel like the industry has done enough when it comes to addressing these problems? Women are not there just for the sake of making up the numbers. They're there to be competitive. But do you feel like more can be done to address the problem? Yeah, I think definitely more can be done. Because the community itself is actually still quite close-minded, I would say. There's this pervasive uh, gatekeeping mentality. It's not necessarily directed towards gender, but females do get the brunt of it. Is this very typical mentality where gamers would feel the need to like assert their superiority over others by setting all sorts of bars and requirements like game knowledge, time invested, and so on. So if you fill any of the requirements set, then they just say, oh, you're just pretending to be part of the community. You're just a poser. So for females in general, it's actually harder to break into the industry in the first place. Basically, you have to prove that you know your stuff and you have to constantly prove it. So that's one major barrier that I don't know whether this is something that can be fixed, but uh, it's kind of a widespread mindset that gamers generally have against females. That's why you have all the stereotypes that uh, females can't be esports players or females can't be valuable members of the esports industry because of these sort of stereotypes. So I guess if uh, everyone can change their mindsets for the better, then the entire industry can be more acceptable and welcoming to females in general. And also, there needs to be a lot of um, protective measures in place so that females who undergo sexual harassment, sexual abuse even, in the industry know where to go to. They should have a platform to voice their concerns, their worries, or even their complaints about members of the community or members of the industry that they wish to speak out against and feel safe doing so. We need to protect the survivors and we need to have more uh, influential people with clout and with following who are willing to state their stance on the sexual harassment and sexual abuse cases so that the survivors feel protected, feel safe and feel that there are people supporting them wherever they are. Ramon, I, I think you you also have experience competing locally and internationally. Um, is there a difference between the scene uh, locally and abroad? Locally, I think like what Tiffany was saying, the mentality is a little bit close and we're actually a small community. So somewhat when I played for a Chinese organization in China, it's a little bit different uh, because they look at me like I'm a foreign. And I mean, some somehow it's bigger there. And they have like they implement lots of rules. Like example, I'm, I'm not talking about just toxicity, but I'm talking about hacking and stuff. So every single a game ID is being attached to your national ID, your your IC. So if you were to do anything bad on the internet, like if you were to just hack or do something you're not supposed to do to abuse the game or exploit the game, you will get banned. And once you get banned, you can't play on the platform. So you're as good as just dead. No. Don't, don't need to play any games anymore. Don't need to do esport anymore. So it's a little bit tighter there. It's proper. Uh, as for us here, like I can just make an account and just put some names and just go to Tiffany's stream and just say many many things. You know, like it's it's a little bit like loosened here. But somewhere or another, I think it's always been this way. Uh, it would be very nice, like whatever Tiffany was saying earlier, if there's a like a 
like a place or a person or something that we can go to and eventually like in the community itself to protect the own people that is in the community, mostly female gamers. Then you have more female gamers coming out, casters or anything. You have better environment of esports all around and it would be nicer, I guess. But that would be a long shot still. 15 years here and still waiting. <laughs> mm, yeah, and, and I think that's also a question of maturity, right? I think even when it comes to even a governing body, a, a regulator perhaps that can govern the sports itself, uh, it seems we still seem to be far away, right? I think, do you feel like maybe that's that's because of the fact that, you know, perhaps the authorities or the powers that be are not keeping up with the rapid rise of esports and even gaming in general as a form of industry? I think in recent years, we have seen the government taking more of an active stance on esports, on supporting esports. So there have been like governmental funding and then a few attempts, I think, to set up sort of like an esports government. But the problem with that that I see is that they're not getting esports people to rule esports or they're not getting esports people to govern esports. They're getting politicians to do so. So for me, it's like, it doesn't make sense. Like, it doesn't make much sense because the politicians will have their own agenda and thus um, they're probably not heading in the direction that the esports industry is hoping to head towards. So that's the biggest problem that I can see right now. I'm hoping that they can eventually recognize this and maybe rectify it by involving more esports industry stakeholders in the government. Uh, in the authorities, in the esports government that they are trying to set up so that at least we are working towards the same goal. Mm. Both of you are quite influential in your respective fields and, and, and I feel like with that, there must be a lot of people that look up to you. Um, what is it like to be a role model in industry? It's pretty cool because like I said, like uh, for me, before I even, I mean, before we, as we speak today, Back then, when I was playing games, it was literally playing games. We have no vision, dreams. We dream to be one of the best, but for what, we also don't know. But now, there's something to play for. You can play for your country, you can play the world tournaments, you can play the big leagues, you can play for the money, you can play to get a job, all these things. So it's just not playing games. So somehow, however I ended up here, it's pretty cool and for this last year and this year Buku Text, for the next five years I'm I'm in the Buku Text for Tikatan Empat. So we're in the eSport is in the Buku Text Tikatan Empat, I think so, for for the next five years. Yeah. So I have like the youth messaging me online on my Instagram or my social media saying, I went to school, blah blah blah, I saw your this, my buku I didn't need it. So it's actually quite cool. It's quite nice. And I also get to tell them what I never gotten back then that is you know to study hard and no matter what you do is education comes first and even though you feel and you know it in your heart that you're going to be a professional gamer someday studies uh, you got to finish your studies first so it's it's nice to be able to experience all this and somehow end up here and somehow sharing it with the youth of today i mean i did get my fair share of people trying to ask me like do you have a job recommendation for me in esports? How do I get into the esports industry if I don't have the skills to become a player, but I still have the passion I want to pursue? 
an esports career, stuff like that. So for cases like this, I would actually let them know about the realities of esports as well. I won't really just paint the dream for them because I feel you need to be responsible for all this advice that you give out as a as a, maybe someone that people look up to or someone that is regarded as a role model. I feel that a lot of um, public figures also, they need to realize that they have a social responsibility to play and they should just try to avoid the easy way out such as handing out advice like, yeah, just join esports. Uh, there are plenty of opportunities here. You will be able to feed your entire family with your salary and stuff like that. But the reality is there are a lot of people who join esports with the dream of maybe one day winning the international tournament and uh, getting a huge cash prize and then being able to buy cars and houses and stuff like that. But thing is, this only happens to 1%. Maybe like the top 1% of 1% of the professional esports players. It doesn't necessarily happen to everyone. So you need to manage their expectations about the industry as well. And if their parents ask, you also need to let them know that, oh, it's not a 100% guarantee that your child will be able to make it all the way to the top. You need to let them recognize the risks of joining this industry as well. You've been tuning in to Gigi Well Played and we've been talking to professional esports athlete Ramona Azwin and Tiffany Lim, Athletes Committee Chairperson at the International Esports Federation in conjunction with International Women's Day. If you'd like to listen to this episode again, you can find the podcast on BFM.my, our app available on the Apple App Store or Google Play and also Spotify. Do share your thoughts about the show or the games that you play via our email, ggwp at bfm.my. Don't forget to also follow the station on Twitter at BFM Radio. My name is Sanif Baharudin. Thanks for joining us. Game on. Till next time, GG Well Played. Thank you for listening to this podcast. To find more great interviews, go to bfm.my or find us on iTunes. BFM 89.9, The Business Station.